Are you interested in cracking the customer code? You've got customers, and we will help you work with them to deliver a great experience to grow your business. I'm Jeannie Walters. And I'm Adam Taport. Join us as we learn from those business leaders who get it. And a few who don't. And together we'll crack the customer code. Welcome to episode 11 of Crack the Customer Code. Today we're tackling innovation and why it's so difficult. Right. Like, should we emulate the service greats like Nordstrom and Zappos? And we have a guest. John David, a.k.a. Mafia Hairdresser, is quite an innovator, and he's going to tell us about the social media salon. That's right. And we're going to talk about a customer zero that maybe some of our listeners have been, which are people who don't tip when it's expected in a service industry. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Excellent. Before we get there, let me just tell you a little bit about CustomersThatStick.com. We've got a lot going on there right now, so please check it out. We've got all kinds of resources and videos on customer experience and customer service, and we've actually got some new research we released about a month ago, so make sure to check that out at CustomersThatStick.com. Jeannie? Yes? What do you think about the customer service greats? Well, we always hear about the usuals, right? We hear about Zappos and Nordstrom and... One of my favorites, Southwest Airlines. And we love them all. You know, and that's one of the interesting things. If you're in our industry, if you're doing customer service, customer experience, everyone talks about them, including you, including me. Yep. So the question we have today is, should we be talking about them so much? And can you really emulate them? Can you really, you know, can the hairdresser on the corner really be Apple, you know, or be the Ritz-Carlton or any of these types of companies? Well, I think it's a great question because a lot of folks try and they actually, you can see it sometimes on their website. They say, we're, we're the Zappos of whatever. And I think it's, it's a false way to look at yourself because Zappos is Zappos. And even Zappos doesn't always do what we think Zappos does. Um, they used to always divert to, overnight shipping. And now they they had to stop that because the costs were getting too high. So they had to change their model a little bit. So all these other folks were trying to emulate them. And at the same time, Zappos is evolving with the marketplace and with their customers, which is what every organization should be doing. Right. And, you know, I, first of all, I'm a huge Zappos fan. I love Zappos, but we also have to sort of put out there right now, we really don't know what their profitability is because it sort of has been absorbed into Amazon. That's right. So we really don't know what that unit does and how scalable that is. And scalable is one of the big issues. You know, I wrote a long time ago on the Customers at Sick blog about the Ritz Carlton's $2,000 rule. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you work at Ritz, you are empowered up to $2,000 to basically fix any customer service situation. Okay, right. you do not have to get a manager approval up to two thousand dollars. I'm assuming it's been a while. I'm assuming they still have that rule. What's cool about it is the principle, not the number. Okay, right. you know you can't have a, a small yogurt shop and have a two thousand dollar rule, right? <laughs> That's a lot of yogurt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and people talk about it sort of like, well, you know, this is what the Ritz does, and this is what you should do. It's not really, but the principle can be useful. And I think that's one of the things you can learn. I mean, everybody talks about, okay, we'll be like Apple and do that. Well, you know what? People don't stand in line for shoe repair. And Okay. You know, Unless you're a really busy shoe repair. But, you know, they don't like a new iPad. I mean, some things have a, a built-in hook to them. And quite frankly, Steve Jobs was a visionary, and many leaders are not Steve Jobs. And so I think it's it's – a dangerous path to start saying, well, we'll just do what Steve Jobs did because he didn't even know what he was going to do next. And we had no idea. And, and customers didn't really understand what he was going to do next. And that's what made it so exciting. 
But in most cases, your customers absolutely have to be walking along with you. And a lot, there are a lot of opportunities to innovate if you look for your specific situation. And one of the things I, I said recently was, you know, you hear about these companies that are number two, and that's all they care about is catching number one. I mean, this happened with Coke and Pepsi and Burger King and McDonald's. And when Burger King started embracing that we're number two, and we're totally good with that, and we actually, our people are different than McDonald's people. And once they started embracing that, it changed everything for them. And if if you're number two, don't worry about number one, worry about your people. And a lot of amazing things can happen that way. No, absolutely. And that's the, you know, that's the sort of catch is you get into these role models that aren't great role models. You know, they, I mean, they are great role models, but they're not applicable role models. You can't really use them. I mean, mm-hmm. technology is sexy. You know, athletics is sexy. You know, we had Graham here in episode two taking us through a Nike commercial. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a reason a Nike commercial is inspirational and a life alert commercial is not. <laughs> okay. You know? I mean, you can't do, I'm falling and I can't get up. You know, you're, it's not going to make you go out and work out or get excited <laughs> or, you know, it's just what it is. It's just a different industry. Yeah. So I think. I, I love using these examples. I think they're great to talk about, but I think you got to be careful to know what lessons to pull from them. Right. So I think we agree. I think we're saying emulate the right things from them, get inspired, innovate around your own experience for your customers, but don't try to be something you're not. Absolutely. And I believe we have a guest today. Yes, that's right. We have with us today, John David, also known as Mafia Hairdresser. He's a Chicago hairdresser who wrote a book about his job with the mob he now consults using his ebook marketing and social media skills, as well as his salon owner and customer service experience. And I can tell you, he's just a great guy. So welcome. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you for having me, both of you. Of course. And I have a, I have a question for you right off the bat here. Yes. You just started something called Social Media Salon. I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about what that is. Well, Social Media Salon started as uh, a thought just one weekend. It happened in a weekend. I was like, gosh, I want more time. I'm doing three days of work in the in the hair salon, which mm-hmm. I would never quit because I do leaders of the industry in social media and business and customer service. So I'll, I get all this great information and also you, you and <laughs> everyone else are great resources, as you well know. And um, And I was running around the rest of the week. Uh, to all these meetings. And I thought, gosh, wouldn't it be great if I just had one place where I can do hair and the next appointment is a social media client or I can do a podcast um, talking to, you know, target representatives was one I did the other day. Um, cool. Just in one place. So I opened, I rented a little space in, in what's called Phoenix Salon Suite, which is a neat setup. It's all a bunch of great hairdressers and facialists and so forth. But I'm a little bit more equipped for the, the media stuff inside. So I do hair and social media, everything in one location, which is I, really great. I have to think you're the only person doing this. <laughs> have you heard of anybody else doing this? I have not. And I think that's the, the great thing about uh, the industries that, that we get to be involved with. There's always something original coming out and um, it was just a natural progression. So maybe I have something there. So I, I welcome everyone else to try something like this and, and then <laughs> tell me tell me what I can add to what I'm doing. <laughs> that is definitely a unique business model. Tell us a little bit about the social media side. Like what's your focus? What are you working on? Uh, what am I working on? Well, I think I, I do have a insider um, 
qualifications into the hair industry, the salon ownership industry, as well as the cosmetic industries, meaning the the guys and gals that sell cosmetics uh, in the department stores. So I do consult with that industry a little bit. It's not my biggest portion. I'm I'm doing law firms. I go in and find out where they're losing their money and and where they're they need to save. So I kind of do an array of of uh consulting um and it's just usually word of mouth. Someone will say, well, he saved me a lot of money. I was spending all this money on Google AdWords and and now I only spend this much and I I can, you know, use my my employees to do my Instagram and my Facebook and so forth and so forth. So I do promotional companies i've done law firms and i've done a few very few salons they they don't seem to want to pay the money so (laughs) well you know it's funny because i I come from a small business perspective always sort of looking at how people are you know managing their businesses so you got to tell us like what's it like to bounce back and forth you know in the same day you're cutting hair one appointment then you're doing social media the next appointment it's all in the same building i mean sort of give us a little snapshot of that well, I'll use the analogy of when I'm doing hair. I'm I'm very well educated um, in uh, the architecture of hair and color and uh, chemistry and so forth. And when someone comes in and they have this shape of head and they have this color skin and, and so forth, I kind of know the array of things that I could do with them with what they where they want to go, mm-hmm. like how they want to look and present themselves. It's the same thing with social media. I have an array of skills um, that might match up with what they need. And, the, and, and when they tell me, well, this is my goal, gold dollars, or how many new employees I have to have, or how I need to save this much money, I can apply my array of, of, of experience into that as well. So it's just it's it's a matter of me being educated and and that's cool constantly asking questions as you will know what yeah. customer service and social media is ask questions ask questions and you will learn and then you apply that to the next round of what you need and you know i know being here in chicago you were one of the first people to really take advantage of social media to get to know your customers and to get to know what people were looking for and you've been I mean, I, I believe you're a master hairstylist. You've been doing the, that type of work for about 20 years. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, over 30. Wow. <laughs> well, you look very young. I'll say that. <laughs> Thank you, Mom and Dad, for the jeans. Yeah, I'll say that right now. <laughs> um, but I'm wondering, you know, how how did you first tackle getting to know your customers that way? And what has that given you? Getting to know my customers through uh, social media um, was uh, – Something I, I had learned through mar- trying to market my ebooks. I knew I, was, I had an ebook to publish the the Mafia hairdresser, which became the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the Steve Green had was a kind of a vanguard in, in social media in Chicago. So I kind of went to him. I go, uh, teach me how to do this. And then I met you and Liz mm-hmm. Strauss and mm-hmm. you know these other great people who I listen to whenever you give your talks and and then so you learn more and then that taught me that oh social media is about connecting with my customer it mm-hmm. is about listening to my customer and they are very vocal um and and then I could respond accordingly mm-hmm. oh they want better internet in my salon or they want um you know quicker service or, you know, they want to be able to book online. Those kinds of things were very informative. Well, and I know that one example uh, I saw on Instagram where somebody had said that they wanted Splenda in their coffee 
And the next time <laughs> they came to your salon, they had plenty of Splenda because you had paid attention to that. So I think that's really cool how you yeah, really yeah, that listen. Was, that was Ramon de Leon. Of, that's right. Uh, former Domino's. That's name. right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And so I'm curious, um, what's your pet peeve as a customer? My pet peeve is a customer. Well, you know, we're on Skype right now, and I'm a customer of Skype. And, you know, sometimes when you go online uh, and you're trying to get a certain thing, mine was a password, which I don't have on Skype. I just signed it with Facebook. And, um, you know, I get the runaround on the website. There's real no link to talk to somebody or to, you know, it's all um, – Mm-hmm. Now headings. Mm-hmm. Well, you can go to this forum and do that. So I kind of miss the um, the interaction. And I think Twitter helps. I could actually tweet Skype maybe and ask them the question. And someone says, "Oh, here, talk to this customer service rep." I mean, I really like. I really miss having that one on one. That's a customer pet peeve I have. And and UPS, I think, is even getting better. They respond. I've mm-hmm. had a few. UPS, uh, not complaints, but like missing packages. And they responded and we found the packages. Oh, that's great. Yes. Yeah. It is all about the response. Well, first of all, thank you so much for being here. You've definitely got one of the most unique business models we have yet to talk (laughs) about on the show. So it's very cool. Thank you. Uh, Just tell folks where they can find you. Well, you can go to mafiahairdresser.com and I'll do your hair and I will probably um, pluck your mind <laughs> and uh, learn from you, whatever you do in business or a homemaker or whatever, I will learn and uh, maybe we'll even do a podcast on you when you come in and, uh, you know, social media services, whatever you need, I can do it out of one location. And thanks for having me, both of you. Yeah, well, this was great. Thanks so much, John David. And it's time for Customer Hero, Customer Zero. We're going to talk about customers themselves being zeros. And we're going to talk about customers who don't tip when they're in an environment where they should tip. What do you think about that? I know you've had some experience with that. You worked in food service at one point, correct? Yes, I did. And I believe everybody should at some point in their life because it really does give you a great perspective on it's a hard job. I mean, being a waiter or waitress is a really hard job. And I was a server when I was in college at, and I won't say the name of it, but it was maybe the worst Mexican restaurant in the world. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's in Orlando, but go ahead. Well, 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 this was Columbia, Missouri, so we may have beat you there. Um, (laughs) But we had this one guy who used to come in every Tuesday and order the same thing. And he w- he was kind of a bigger guy. So he ordered basically two dinners for himself, plus a few beers, and always needed the special hot sauce that he knew we kept in the bag, all these little demands. And guess how much he left every single time? $50. $1. Nice. <laughs> every single time. And it didn't matter who waited on him. We would trade off. We would try to be really super nice and extra special one time, and then we would try to just be normal the next. Made absolutely no difference. His tip was going to be a dollar no matter what. And I get why that's so frustrating, because really, you're you're not making what you should, quite frankly, and tips are part of what you earn. And so somebody like that comes in and kind of takes advantage of the situation. It not only leaves you feeling like you're unappreciated, but it makes you not want to serve other people with a smile. And it has this huge ripple effect. So I think 
there's some accountability there with customers who are just jerks. Well, it's hard, you know, because there are tipping industries and there aren't tipping industries. And, you know, that's obviously the minimum wage is even different. You know, the Mm -hmm. pay scales are different for tipping industries. So when you're in a tipping industry, you have to understand that's, you know, when you're you're a customer in one of these industries, you have to understand that's part of the economic model. Mm -hmm. You know, that's part of what you're paying for. Now, one thing I know it's a pet peeve for me and a lot of people is like tipping is expanding, You know, to like, I don't need to tip you because you checked me out for my Snickers bar. (laughs) Right. I mean, right. You know, there's certain places where you tip and there's certain places Mm -hmm. where you don't. So yeah, that can be like terribly frustrating. I've worked in some tipping industries. I manage actually a tipping industry. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's hard when people just, you know, you get the cheap ones and you're like, look, you still got to give them the same level of service. You know, it's a managerial challenge as well. How did your manager handle it back then? I mean, how did, how did he or she approach you know, uh, the servers about this type of thing? Uh, well, she wasn't the best manager, I would say. <laughs> so she uh, she used to joke in front of customers, like if, if a customer said, oh, I didn't get my beer yet or something like that on a busy night, she would literally joke in front of the servers and say, oh, it's okay, I'm going to fire her tonight. <laughs> and <laughs> nice. Um, yes, things like that. So she wasn't really all about creating a warm, fuzzy feeling. And she... She almost didn't care what we got in tips, which didn't help either. So I think that there's an argument there about the manager really investing and how can we help these people who have to earn these tips? How can we help them earn tips and how can we support them in their jobs so that they they have enough support and tools and resources to actually deliver a great service? And, you know, if you don't, then maybe that's more up to you. But there are well, certain... Yeah. I'm sorry. But that's, that's one of the things I'd like teach frontline people that are in tipping industries is like... You got to shake it off, mm-hmm. okay? Because in the end, you're always going to have cheap tippers, and you're going to have always people that you know tip thirty, forty percent, and right. this type of stuff. It's the average, and if you right. let the if you let somebody that pays you a dollar, you know, gives you that dollar tip, if you let them affect your service delivery on the next person, and the next person, and the next person, your average is going to go down. In the end, it's going to be a self fulfilling prophecy. Right, right. But I I know some places are now experimenting with no tipping, and in typically service industries like restaurants there are some places out there who are saying you know what we'll just pay our people more and we'll charge a little more and that way you don't have to leave a tip as a customer and i think it's an interesting model i think that there will be pros and cons to it and there will be successful examples that we can follow and some non-successful examples but it shows innovation around the experience because just like you're saying there's frustration with who do i tip how do i tip what happens if I don't tip what they expect, what happens if I, you know, the ones that burn me a lot are the ones that say, oh, no, you have to tip in cash. And nice. I know there are reasons for that. I understand there are business reasons for that. But from the customer perspective, you're basically saying that the way you're doing things on your back end is trumping the way I actually want to pay you. And if you don't have cash, who does that, who does that leave hanging? It leaves the person who gave you the service not the management. So I think there's all sorts of conversations going on around this. And we should have these conversations because it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to manage. And it's a hard thing to expect as a customer. Well, we could talk about this forever. And I actually think it sort of ties in with that innovation theme, you know, some of these businesses that are actually shifting tipping models to non tipping models. So I think we will revisit this at another time. But for now, thank you for listening to Episode 11 of Crack the Customer Code. I'm Adam Teporek, and you can reach me at CustomersAtStick.com. 
And I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can find me at 360connects.com. There are more episodes and show notes available at crackthecustomercode.com. So please subscribe on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed this show, and only if you've enjoyed it, please leave a review. Also, please tell someone you know. We'd love to get some word of mouth going. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.